Welcome back to the Decarb Connect podcast. We've had a little hiatus over the last couple of weeks. We were as a team running an event and then I managed to sneak away for a week's holiday, which was lovely. But I'm very, very pleased to be joined by Lorenzo Ducci and Filippo Bartoloni from NL Green Power. And NL Green Power have been a really supportive client of ours. So I'm really happy to have you here on the podcast. And we're going to be talking about the role of hydrogen and specifically green hydrogen within the energy transition. But before we dive into that, let me just ask each of you to say hello and to introduce yourselves and in particular to talk about like how have you personally arrived at this kind of moment in time where this is your work. And I'm going to direct that to Filippo, first of all. Well, Alex, thank you very much for having us. And uh... Uh, my name is Filippo Bartoloni, and uh, I'm currently working as uh, the head of green hydrogen projects uh, development at, uh, at NL within the newly established uh, uh, hydrogen business unit. Uh, personally, I arrived to this, uh, to this role after, uh, I would say, a professional uh, uh, energy transition. Indeed, uh, in the past, I was uh, working uh, for many years in the oil and gas industry. And uh, uh, after that, uh, I worked for a few years in the renewable uh, in the renewable industry, uh, working on uh, on electricity. So green hydrogen is somehow the the mix of these two experiences because uh, it is renewable, but it is a, a gas. So it has a lot in common with uh, with renewable electricity, but also a lot in common with the uh, with the gas uh, with the natural gas uh, space. And then just way back in the midst of time, what, what even led you into oil and gas? Were you, did you come at it from a technical or engineering angle or from financial? Or well, my, my academic background is, uh, is uh, in engineering, energy engineering in particular, but uh, I focused mainly on, uh, on nuclear in, uh, in my, let's say, college years. And after that, I, I, I did a master's in, uh, in business in the energy space with uh, an oil and gas company and uh, everything started from there. Okay, great. Thanks for that. And let's hear from uh, Lorenzo. Do you want to give your your little potted history? And again, it's as much about the kind of personal driver for how you've come to this work as anything. Yes. So hi, everyone. And thanks, Alex, for this opportunity. My name is Lorenzo Ducci, and I work within the hydrogen business unit as the head of commercial hydrogen commercial office uh, within Energy Power. Uh, actually, I had the same uh, similar experience of Filippo because I started my experience in NL as coal buyer. So basically, I was involved in the in buying the coal for our power plants in uh, in Italy and, and Spain. And I believe that um, for me and, and Filippo, that we are not part of the what what so called Generation Z. So we didn't grow up with the awareness on the impact of the climate change on the earth. So for us. This consciousness uh, has been formed over time. And so once we had the opportunity to join, uh, in my case, Energy Power, uh, I took it because I realized that it's very fundamental, not the decarbonization, and we can contribute as people, but also as NL to, uh, to, to reduce it. And this is also why I think I really uh, like my job. Mm. Yeah, it's a sort of satisfying combination, isn't it, of a personal and a professional driver around this. Well, thank you both. Thank you both for that. So this is a kind of an interesting uh, episode of this podcast for me, actually. We, we have touched on hydrogen in the past, but not maybe as much as you might think, for no deliberate reason other than just how it happens that guests come on the show. But we're going to talk about green hydrogen. And maybe... 
we could start by looking at how how is it that NL has come to this focus? Like, wh why this of all avenues for energy transition work? NL, I can say, has always been at the front line of the energy transition. So, indeed, we are currently the leading player in several dimensions that drive the energy transition, which are renewables and electrification of end uses. Just to give you some numbers, Alex, we are the world's largest private player in renewables by store capacity with more than 50 gigawatt. The first network operator with 2.2 million of kilometers of distribution networks. And consider that this number is almost three times the whole number of Italian streets and almost the double of the kilometers of rail you have in the whole world. Uh, we are also the largest retail customer base worldwide with more than 75 million people. That is the population of France plus Sweden. So really, really huge number in the field of the, of the uh, dimension that for us drive the energy transition. Especially in the renewable business, uh, our geographical footprint is very well diversified as we are present in more than 28 countries. And our ambition for the next decade is to further strengthen our position as renewable super major, triplicating our total renewable capacity uh, by 100 gigawatts, mostly solar and wind. And what is important? here to understand also why we enter into the green hydrogen business is that we want to do so so to increase our renewable capacity uh, by leveraging not only on the additional capacity we want to consolidate but also through our stewardship business model so opening ourselves to the world which means creating joint venture and partnership worldwide and this concept of open power which actually is the pillar of panel mission is also in my opinion, uh, uh, the real reason why uh, we enter into the green hydrogen business, because our main objective is to support customers in the decarbonization of their industrial processes. And we want to pursue it through renewable development and direct electrification at first. But we understand that we have to open it to other technologies, because some sectors, the so-called hard bait, cannot uh, decarbonize only through these two. No? So there is a need for sustainable alternatives. And this is the reason of green hydrogen in, in NL. And I hope this answered to your question, Alex. Yeah, no, it does. It's I find the, the whole area of green hydrogen just, just fascinating because there is so much discussion about it, so much interest in it. And yet it is also nascent. It's very early, isn't it, in terms of what people's direct experience, like the industrials are still really working out how and when they're going to be able to get their hands in it. So, so let's dig a little more into the role of, of hydrogen and specifically green hydrogen. And, and maybe, Filippo, you could sort of talk a bit more about why, you know, there is this discussion about green versus blue versus the rainbow of hydrogens. Why green hydrogen? I guess, you know, Lorenzo's mentioned in part this kind of emphasis you've always had in renewables, but just talk to us a bit more about why focus on the green hydrogen portion. We decided to enter into the hydrogen space to complement our uh, decarbonization offer for our uh, for our clients. In particular, we see electrification supplied by renewables, as Lorenzo was saying, as the main uh, way to decarbonize the final uh, uses of energies. But in some cases, such as in those uh, sectors that uh, 
are called hard to abate. Electrification cannot be uh, technically or economically used today. So green hydrogen uh, um, comes as the tool that complement the decarbonization of final, uh, of final energy uses. Indeed, uh, um, hydrogen does not uh, produce emissions where it is, uh, where it is used. But we will see in a, in a bit that may produce uh, emissions when it is actually produced itself. So uh, no uh, production of emissions uh, when when it's uh, when it's uh, when it's produced. And uh, in order not to produce uh, emission, not even when it is uh, when it is produced, it needs to be it needs to come from renewable. So we have to use renewable uh, renewable hydrogen. For sure, um, uh, we um, uh, NL. As NL understand that renewable hydrogen does not have the competitiveness as of today as its first, uh, let's say, as its main uh, key strength. But we are sure that in the next decade, we'll see the same uh, sharp reduction that we saw in renewable in the last 10 to 15 years. We'll see the same kind of improvement of the technology through innovation and through the scale up of the industry uh, in green, the green hydrogen technology. And so it will become competitive uh, by the end of 2030 with uh, the fossil fuel, uh, fossil fuel based alternatives. In terms of use, it's really important that we said uh, we focus on the uh, on the hard to bait sectors because if we use uh, other uh, this hydrogen that is a very scarce resource in uh, uses that uh, are not uh, uh, that are not efficient uh, uh, that, that it's the carbonization is not efficient with green hydrogen we make uh, um, uh, uh, a use of it that makes no sense so for example let's look at uh, at road transport on road transport uh, battery electric vehicles are uh, have a, a 90% efficiency uh, from the electricity to the let's say to the real transport to the real kilometers that we can uh, that we can ride with our car and uh, would it make sense to use the same uh, kilowatt hour of renewable electricity to produce green hydrogen and produce back electricity to fuel uh, fuel cell hydrogen hydrogen car in that second case we would have an efficiency that is around 35 percent more or less so uh, there is really no need to use uh, hydrogen in those sectors where other alternatives are are more efficient both from a technical and uh, and an economical uh, and economical perspective for what regards the different um, uh, color of, uh, of hydrogen, we just already said that uh, hydrogen does not emit when it is used, but it emits, it can emit when it is produced. So as of today, um, uh, hydrogen is already produced and is already consumed by the market, but uh, the kind of hydrogen that it is used is the one that is called gray hydrogen. So it's produced mainly from natural gas and, uh, and coal. And as we can uh, see, is something that is not renewable. It's uh, it's a process uh, that is actually very old, and uh, and produce a lot of uh, a lot of CO2 and a lot of, uh, and a lot of emissions. Right now, there is uh, a lot of talking about let's say the hydrogen of the futures, that are mainly green hydrogen, that is the the one produced from electrolysis. 
that we that we mentioned, but also blue hydrogen. There is a lot of talking also about blue hydrogen. And what is blue hydrogen? Blue hydrogen is actually nothing else than uh, gray hydrogen. So what is consumed today from natural gas or coal, but its production process is coupled with a, a CO2 uh, capture technology that tries to, um, uh, that tries to uh, let's say, uh, um, capture all the emissions of the, of the process. But there is, a, uh, we believe, a main difference between green and, uh, and blue. On top of using different fuels, there is also a big difference in terms of maturity of the technology. Indeed, green hydrogen is an established technology that is mature and uh, needs to scale up in order to improve its cost, while blue hydrogen is a, a technology that not only is not mature, but it needs to prove all, all the efficiencies that is, uh, that is claiming. So uh, we, this is why we chose uh, green hydrogen, and we are sure that that is the, the real way to decarbonize what is not decarbonizable electrification okay that's i think that's a useful a useful kind of overview and insight that kind of set the tone around some some of the next questions i mean we would be remiss not to have a look at some of the barriers or the, or the classic things that people talk about as barriers to the adoption of green hydrogen right so that's cost that you've mentioned briefly when you talk to industrials they have a something of an obsession about the transportation and storage you know as it's coming into their plants um, and I guess the speed of scale up as well as something that people talk about. Having said that, there is clearly a lot of excitement about the potential for it. So I'm just I'm interested in, in what do you think the route through those and, and other barriers may be? And actually, there's even one one other that I was talking to someone about recently, which is to do with the scale up process. That even some of the early pilots in the UK here on green hydrogen and how it might work, they couldn't even access enough hydrogen to make the test and to scale up from pilot and beyond. You know, it was that even the access to what they needed in this very early stage of pilots was a challenge. So we're going to knock the challenges on the head so that we could then talk about the benefits afterwards. But talk, talk to me about what you think of those barriers and, and the way through them. Well, sir, well, uh, we, we believe that. Uh... The, there is only one real barrier to the fast uh, deployment of the green hydrogen technology. And this uh, real barrier is really cost. So it's, uh, it's cost, the cost of the technology that uh, we're sure will improve in the, in the, next, uh, in the next decade. And uh, and the green hydrogen uh, will will be will become competitive, and that that is uh, the, the 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 true barrier to for the access uh, from customer to the to the technology. All the other issues that you <clears throat> that you mentioned are for sure uh, uh, let's say topics to address, but. Uh, are, uh, are, are not real barriers and can be addressed, uh, for example, with a, a correct uh, choice of the business model. And we are uh, testing a number of them and uh, we will talk uh, about them uh, in, uh, uh, maybe, maybe later. So for what regards the, the, real, uh, the real buyer barriers, we believe that the drivers of the cost reduction uh, are, are clear and, uh, and uh, will be pursued with, uh, with industry scale up and uh, and innovation as the two main uh, uh, as the two main drivers for what regards the scale up we're observing uh, a similar cost reduction trend and roadmaps to 2030 from a, a number of different technology providers. Indeed, as NL, we are in touch you know, with a number of uh, technology suppliers, OEMs, uh, uh, different and innovative startups. And, uh, and we believe that these uh, uh, road uh, 
for, uh, for cost reduction are, are linked mainly to the improvements of the supply chain and are also related to the construction of gigafactories that will extend the production capacity of, uh, of, the, of the electrolyzer and so of the hydrogen technology. Indeed, we said that uh, the technology is already proved. It's just a matter of, uh, of making it uh, on a large scale because volumes uh, of the demand were never, were never so high. And uh, <clears throat> the construction of gigafactory also includes the automation on the assembly and the, and the logistic lines of the main components that will clearly make the, the technology more, uh, more competitive. On top of the scale up, there is also for sure a role of, uh, of innovation and uh, innovative solutions are right now taught to increase the size of the stack of the electrolyzer and to use new and cheaper material to make the technology to make the technology uh, cheaper already already today referring to this last point uh, we're actually working on our uh, flagship project in sicily that is called uh, nexi and it is somehow we consider it as our contribution to accelerate the decrease of the cost of the green hydrogen technology Next I indeed is not only a regular commercial green hydrogen project, but it is much more. It is a, a, a truly innovation test facility with the goal of accelerating the commercialization of emerging green hydrogen technology, supporting the best and most promising startups that we are, uh, that we are selecting. This innovation facility consists of a, a four megawatt state-of-the-art industrial electrolyzer as uh, the technology benchmark and a multi-technology testing area coupled uh, with approximately 222 megawatt wind farm in a co-located configuration. So the electrolyzer that produces uh, um, hydrogen is uh, in the same testing facility of uh, uh, the innovative solutions and are linked with a, with a wind farm that is directly connected uh, behind the meter. And the hydrogen that is produced by the plant will be entirely sold to a technical gas distribution company for, uh, to feed the local industry in the nearby of, uh, of the facility. So we believe that uh, um, this is a really a cutting, edge, a cutting edge project that will contribute to the, to the decrease of the technology. I'm just interested to understand a little more about Next High. So Next High is... Is it where other your kind of technology partners can come and test and scale or is it is it does it have to be your existing partners how how are you going to you know, choose and select those people that can use the facility. Well, the, we will uh, will be choosing, and we're actually already talking to, to a lot of startups that are interested in uh, in testing their innovative technology there. So uh, everyone will be will be able to to join the facility and test their their technology that they they believe are promising and will contribute to the reduction of the of the cost so as uh, lorenzo was uh, mentioning uh, in nl we have uh, uh, an open approach and uh, these uh, um, this innovative test facility is uh, uh, let's say the the example of uh, the innovative approach in which we contribute to the with the with the green hydrogen community to a, a larger extent and we all, all together um, contribute to the reduction of the of the cost of the technology okay great sorry sorry to butt in but it's just we we often talk with disruptors on the podcast so it's always really interesting to understand where these open innovation spaces exist in their different ways. There is another challenge on top of the technology cost, 
that is uh, for sure related to the uh, to to the clear definition of green hydrogen because uh, you know there is a lot of talking of hydrogen there is a lot of talking of green hydrogen but there is not a clear definition of what green hydrogen uh, of what green hydrogen is and what green hydrogen uh, and what green hydrogen means i mean uh, all of us understand that is the the one produced from electrolysis but there are a lot of uh, let's say of um, uh, of uh, there is a clear definition that needs to be established in order for the client to actually valorize the um, the, the green hydrogen as its decarbonization uh, solution that can benefit to to its uh, uh, to its uh, let's say fossil fuel based uh, <clears throat> industrial process. And uh, recently, the European Commission has launched uh, a number of consultation on the delegated act clarifying EU rules applicable to renewable uh, hydrogen under the 2018 Renewable Energy Directive. In our view, the flexibilities that uh, are potentially introduced up to 2027 have to be intended as a stimulus for the quick uptake of uh, an industrial value chain on green hydrogen that is right now nascent and immature. But, uh, they need also to ensure additional renewable capacity is developed and emissions are reduced with respect to uh, counterfactual where green hydrogen is not uh, currently is not currently used. When you're thinking about the the kind of supply chain behind the expansion of green hydrogen, are there specific elements of it that you think are you know particularly in need of support? Obviously, there's. Obviously, we need to sort of explore how these kind of different electrolysis modules and platforms can be scaled up, and I understand that. But are there other parts of the supply chain behind the technology that need that support and, and investment? Well, uh, for sure, the technology is the main, uh, let's say, is the main area of focus, uh, and uh, bringing the technology to Europe uh, can uh, can clearly help uh, the European, uh, say, the European, uh, the European community, because we believe that. Uh, with green hydrogen compared to fossil fuel, there is a, let's say a, a comparison uh, uh, between technology and resource. So in uh, with, uh, with, with uh, renewable uh, and uh, green hydrogen technology in particular, we have a focus on the technology that we can uh, develop uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Europe and uh, on which we can uh, establish a gigafactory in Europe. Uh, while with fossil fuel, there is a focus on uh, on uh, on the resource, uh, and uh, in most of Europe, uh, uh, resources are not uh, are not I would say natural resources like oil and gas are not uh, are not uh, available, and so we have to depend on uh, on imports. And uh, green hydrogen, as uh, renewables in general, uh, uh, not only allowed the development of a let's say a, of a European value chain, but also allow for uh, the security of supply that uh, we see in recent days. That uh, is a is a is a topic very important. I would say. Let's sort of turn our attention then to the kind of government and regulatory environment, which I, particularly in Europe, more so than other regions of the of the world, we we really pay a lot of attention to around this whole area of the energy transition. So, what is it that's needed? What specifics would you point to to say, okay, we need this, this, and this? in order to really develop green hydrogen? What are those things that are needed? Well, in, uh, in our view, the ideal policy and regulatory, and regulatory framework would have some, uh, some characteristics. For sure, at this stage of the maturity of, uh, let's say, of green hydrogen and the discussion of green hydrogen, there are, <clears throat> 
the, the regulatory frameworks uh, are, uh, are, are the developing uh, in, uh, and are at different stages depending on the countries and uh, let's say the regional area in which you focus around the world. But the ideal regulatory framework would for sure have the following characteristics. It would provide for a clear taxonomy of hydrogen. So that if you want to buy green hydrogen, you can actually uh, buy green hydrogen and recognize, recognize its value. It would uh, define a clear permitting process for um, green hydrogen and uh, the renewable energy projects that are linked to, to the green hydrogen production to uh, avoid delays in the decarbonization pathways. And uh, this is particularly important because uh, green hydrogen uh, uh, production facilities that are nothing else uh, than electrolyzers are, uh, are very different from uh, the facilities that currently produce uh, gray hydrogen. The, so they are uh, typically much smaller and support a distributed uh, um, production, uh, let's say production model. So the permitting process for uh, gray hydrogen production facility that already exists today cannot be associated to the one of, uh, of green hydrogen that are typically uh, smaller, simpler, and, uh, uh, and so should, uh, let's say, should go uh, through a different, uh, a different permitting process. Then uh, the ideal regulatory framework would uh, enable the industry development uh, through adequate funding in order to accelerate the cost reduction of the green hydrogen technology and would actually allocate those funding to the green hydrogen technology only that is uh, the one that is uh, that is truly sustainable as we were uh, as we were saying and would uh, also promote the use of hydrogen where it is efficient as we were saying before and uh, the use of hydrogen uh, let's say uh, if you use hydrogen in, uh, in, uh, for a final use of energy that is not uh, the most efficient, you would not exploit its de de decarbonization potential to the fullest. So it wouldn't make sense. And, uh, and uh, for sure, a supporting uh, framework that uh, somehow uh, address uh, this, in, uh, this, this issue uh, is, uh, is, very, is very important. And uh, overall, uh, the, the regulatory framework would clearly stimulate innovation. Europe is doing a, a huge and positive effort in order to establish an enabling framework for the scale up of, uh, of green hydrogen. And uh, the different uh, legislative initiatives, uh, strategies, and communications are for sure going uh, in, the, in the right direction. Uh, European institutions have uh, now to be coherent and pragmatic in order to finalize the, the policy framework uh, for green hydrogen in order to prioritize it when, uh, when it is, uh, where, where the use is, uh, is key, in order to make sure that the additionality of renewables are uh, uh, somehow uh, ensured. So uh, you produce hydrogen in the long term with renewables that are additional and not with the current uh, um, uh, um, renewables that are already uh, operated. And finally, uh, European and national funds have to be there for, uh, for sustainable hydrogen only, as, uh, as we were saying before. And what's the, you know, when you're talking in your team, what's your sense of how likely it is that you're going to get that wish list of very important factors. Does it feel like the kind of EU's discussions are moving in that way, or are you concerned about any in particular? Well, we believe that uh, 
you know, uh, right now there is a, a lot of, uh, of talking of, on the delegated act uh, that uh, provides for uh, for the definition of green hydrogen. There are some supporting measures for uh, first movers that, for example, uh, exempt from the, the additionality requirements. And uh, we believe that those are uh, all very important, uh, let's say, um, uh, first uh, there, those, those are very important supporting measures that clearly first movers cannot be, uh, let's say, um, uh, supported for, for all uh, their lifetime. So uh, at first we have to fast track and then uh, everyone on the same, uh, on the same uh, wavelength, uh, I would say. Okay, well, let's sort of shift perspective again then. So that's the kind of the background to the technology, that's the background to the opportunity, um, some thoughts on what's needed to really help with the scale up of this opportunity. Within NL itself, though, how, how are you, I'm kind of interested to understand, I guess, your approach to the development of projects and kind of therefore how you are having to structure your team. Um, so I don't mind which one you start with, but those two feel very linked to me. So tell me a bit about like, what, what's changing within the business and then, yeah, how, how is it that you are going to go about the development of these projects? Well, uh, as NL already in 20. 20, we, we made our ambition green hydrogen plan public. It is a multi-gigawatt plan that uh, will come on stream, that will make come on stream a number of uh, green hydrogen uh, uh, green hydrogen plants in different countries uh, of the world in which the, the group uh, are present. Today, we are uh, we're working uh, on many projects uh, and uh, I would categorize them under two different clusters. So uh, projects, uh, that are uh, uh, small and uh, will come operative uh, will become operative in the short term and larger projects uh, that uh, uh, that will come become operative in the longer term in countries uh, that have uh, a strategy devoted to the export of their renewable uh, renewable resources in order to fast track the development uh, of all the projects and uh, to fast track the entrance of the company in this, uh, let's say, new green hydrogen space. In 2020, we put in place a fully dedicated uh, unit uh, of which Lorenz and myself are part of uh, that, uh, that has all the function of the company within it. So, uh, so we, have, uh, we are a group of uh, more than 40 people with uh, the engineering colleagues, the commercial colleagues, the business development colleagues, all focused on the fast track of, uh, of the company in, uh, in this. And how does a typical uh, green hydrogen project uh, development starts? Well, this, the starting point is always the client. So, uh, you know, in, uh, in the, while uh, in the renewable space, you have uh, a grid uh, where you can inject uh, renewable electricity in the in the hydrogen space you don't really have uh, a grid uh, where to inject uh, your uh, your final product so the the starting point is for sure the client it's uh, um, it's uh, uh, let's say it's uh, decarbonization needs so we we deep dive together with them on the industrial process uh, we define a, a preliminary profile of their uh, of the hydrogen they want to consume the volume and the location of the possible of the possible facility and then we study with them two different uh, business models. In our view, as we were saying before, the distribution, uh, the, the production of hydrogen supports uh, um, uh, what we call a distributed model of production. So the, the production is always closer to the consumption point. 
but it can happen in two different ways. So we can, uh, uh, we can leverage on what we call a standalone business model in which we install an electrolyzer directly at the premises of the industrial facility that is consuming hydrogen. And we connect this electrolyzer through the electrical grid through a renewable facility that is somewhere else in the, in the, in the same, uh, let's say, region. Or on the other hand, we, um, we can uh, produce uh, hydrogen installing an electrolyzer directly behind the meter at one of our uh, renewable plants, either solar or solar or wind. And we then transport uh, the final product. So green hydrogen to the final, to the final consumers, either um, through truck, or, uh, or through, a dedicated, uh, through a dedicated pipeline. Let's say that um, the, the, the balance between these two business models is typically the transport, uh, the transport cost. So we optimize it for the client. And uh, in one case, uh, we optimize uh, the, 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 the transport of, uh, of green hydrogen and the other one, the transport of, uh, of, uh, renewable, uh, of renewable electricity. So as you're talking through this kind of project approach that you have, I'm, I'm kind of interested to understand it. It sounds like so NL Green Pie will be the project developer. Obviously, you own the renewables that are coming into the project. Do you have the ambition to own the technology or is that going to be, you know, is that going to be your IP or are you looking always to partner in, you know, with different, perhaps different technology companies, depending on location? What, what's the thinking around that, that element of the project? Well, for, uh, for what regards the, let's say, the asset, uh, we, we are open to, to partnering uh, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with the off-taker. We are open to partnering with other, uh, with other industrial players. And, uh, and we actually believe that, uh, that partnering at this stage of the, of the technology is, uh, is very important. Uh, let's say not of the technology, this stage of the green hydrogen market, because uh, as we were saying, the technology is mature, but the, the green hydrogen market is not, uh, is not uh, uh, let's say, yet developed. So we believe that in order to uh, fast track the deployment of uh, green hydrogen um, production facility uh, right now is very important to to partner and is probably our main lessons learned in the last uh, couple of years of the green hydrogen business unit at nl so it's important to partner it's important to collaborate with the off-taker with the other industrial players also with other uh, let's say utilities uh, with which we are normally competitor uh, in uh, in the renewable uh, in the renewable space and then uh, co-invest in uh, in the in the project and uh, uh, and uh, let's say share the knowledge of what we of what we learn. For what regards the technology itself, instead we are uh, you know there are a number of green hydrogen technology that are. Uh, uh, that, uh, that are the main ones uh, uh, and that currently allow to, to, produce, uh, to produce green hydrogen. The main ones are called alkaline and, uh, uh, and uh, the other one is called PEM. Uh, we, we are not linked to one of the two in particular. We have a, a very technology neutral approach and we just decide the best technology for the specific project and for the specific, uh, and for the specific client. Okay, and then projects that you have in motion, what, what do you have going on? And you know, what's the, as you're looking ahead over the next few years, what are, what are the ones that you're kind of most excited about that you have in the pipeline? Well, we are working on, um, as, as I was saying, on, uh, on projects that have different timelines. And right now we have more than a gigawatt of projects in, a, in, our, in our pipeline that we developed in the last, uh, in the last couple of years. 
for what regards the projects in the in the shorter term we are uh, we are focusing on projects that we will allow for the cost reduction of the technology so we are focusing on projects uh, that right now are uh, in uh, in the refinery and the, in the chemical sector with a focus uh, in europe and the, in the americas uh, in particular and uh, the countries that we chose uh, are uh, uh, let's say provide uh, either funding opportunity for green hydrogen or provide uh, the possibility for the electrolyzer to sell electricity services to the grid that bring additional revenues to the to the project and allow for uh, for them to be uh, to be uh, i mean to reach the self standingness uh, is uh, more more easily and clearly this is very important for uh, for their economics. For what regards the the ones that are most advanced, uh, we can start from Chile. At the beginning of September 2021, we started the construction of our uh, first green hydrogen plant in uh, in Chile of megawatt scale. It's uh, it's a project that is called Aruoni and consists on uh, uh, of uh, uh, one wind turbine of uh, around three megawatts that will supply green electricity to an electrolyzer of 1.25 megawatts, producing overall 140 tons of green hydrogen per year. This facility is expected to be commissioned by the end of the year and will be the first plant of its kind to produce green hydrogen in Chile. And so we're very, we're very proud of it. And it's actually the first one of its kind to produce green hydrogen in, uh, in Latin America. So we are very proud of the project and we're very proud that we opened already our first uh, construction, uh, construction site. We have also other three projects in Italy where we produce green hydrogen for refineries. One uh, is uh, under development uh, with a company called Saras that is uh, uh, a refining, uh, uh, a refiner, and uh, is, uh, is under development uh, in the refinery of Sarroc in the Sardinia island in a standalone configuration with electricity supplied through PPAs with wind and hydro plants of, uh, of energy power. The other two projects are under development uh, with the oil and gas company called ENI, that is uh, an oil and gas uh, major. One of the projects is based in Sicily to supply green hydrogen to the Gela Barrio refinery, and the other one is based in uh, the Puglia region of Italy to supply hydrogen to the Taranto refinery. In these two projects, we actually uh, test the two business models that we were uh, talking about. So the one that we uh, call co-located, indeed in the Taranto refinery, we co-locate the, uh, the, the, the electrolyzer together with our uh, solar uh, plant, and then we transport uh, hydrogen uh, through truck to the, to the consumption point. And instead in G the Gela project, uh, we produce uh, hydrogen directly at the premises of the, of the refinery and the electricity is supplied through, through the electric, electrical electrical grid and for the if we sort of look at that, that Chilean project in particular how, how long did that take from I don't know first discussions to where you are now what's the sort of project life cycle been so far well I would say that uh, in order to to build uh, the the project uh, it uh, the, the the timeline is uh, more or less uh, it depends on the size uh, it, it, it is a uh, uh, it is, uh, I would say, between uh, 18 and 24 uh, and 24 months since you start the, the since you open the, the construction uh, the construction site. But clearly, discussions uh, started uh, way uh, way earlier than that, uh, and 
and that is uh, uh, and that is uh, that is the case of the of the first project. But clearly, uh, as uh, the deployment of uh, green hydrogen technology and green hydrogen projects move forward, everything will uh, will fast track. Okay. Well, let me um, kind of build on that sort of little map of projects you have going with a question to Lorenzo. So we've sort of talked a little bit about these projects and partnerships that are already underway. What, what are you learning about partnering on these sorts of projects and, and what is NL looking for when they're sort of assessing the different collaborations that, that could be, you know, could, could show some potential? Thanks, uh, Alex. So we clearly said that green hydrogen is not competitive today and everyone knows it. So for us, the reason for undertaking this challenge cannot be economic. And I think that Philip uh, explained very, very well before. So we look to companies that have already realized that the energy transition is inevitable. And this is also the case of, of NL. Uh, companies that have given themselves a clear decarbonization roadmap and companies that look forward to developing innovative solutions. Because only innovation-driven company organization can easily recognize and exploit the competitive advantage that being a first mover gives you in the long run, not in the short term. So if you have a short-term vision, you cannot understand and undertaking the challenges that the green hydrogen uh, brings uh, ahead of, of, of us. Uh, we already touched this point. So the fact that we are at the beginning of the green hydrogen learning curve, and there are a lot of challenges that need to, to, to be addressed. But what we understood so far is that we need to bring together different know-how, creating collaborative, collaborative structures where we can complement each other. So our commercial strategy is not to act as seller as we are doing on the energy side, no? as, as, so considering the green hydrogen as a commodity. And we, not, we don't consider the hydrogen of taker as a buyer, because except for the one that already use hydrogen as a feedstock, other companies in the industrial sector, like in the glass, in the cement, they don't know how to use it. So we need to bring together not only the of taker, but also the supplier of the technology to use it. So not only the supplier of the technology for the electrolysis, but also the technology to use this. And in this sense, I think that was very interesting for us participating in the last Decarbon Connect event, because there were a huge presence of all of these actors operating along the supply chain. So we can confront each other and only with bringing together again this know-how we can really uh, go ahead in the development of green hydrogen. Mm. And it's clear from the projects that you've started with that, that you see obviously a potential in uh, chem and refining. What what are the other industries that you really have your eye on where you think actually the kind of the early biggest potential is in XYZ? What, what would you point to? So, again, uh, we have a, a very straightforward position on, on, on green algae. So we believe that we want to use it where it's really uh, needed, you know? So feedstock is for sure the, 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 the first sector because they know already how to use it. But then there is the, the industrial sector, so where hydrogen can be used uh, replacing uh, natural gas to produce hybrid heat. And I'm referring to the cement, glasses, uh, ceramics sector. Uh, I think this is, so they have a very, not now, but in general, a very cheap way you know, uh, to, to, to produce this hybrid heat because natural gas in the past was, was, was very cheap. But they have a huge need 
of the carbonati. So we want to leverage on these needs in order to uh, look and uh, and work together on this uh, on, on on the green on the green hydrogen. Okay, and then kind of I guess a final question around the industrials that like you you mentioned very clearly like the, the place the places the types of companies where this is going to work these kind of earlier stage projects are those companies that have a strong history and focus of innovation and and obviously this kind of real need for this particular solution if we flip it around on those industrials and those companies that, you know are listening what what would you say to them if they're interested in the potential for green hydrogen what what are they going to have to understand about how they need to prepare for this like what what would your kind of advice or, or suggest, you know, how would you explain to them how, how to get ready for the potential integration of green hydrogen? Yeah, I think the first step should be to building reliable partnership, creating so the ecosystem where to study and develop this technology, because we need still to study, because we are at the beginning of, of the learning curve. And this means involving renewable important players, but also, for example, university technology providers. So everyone that can contribute to tackle the challenges we have and the challenges that we are going to, to have in front of us. Because this thing that I said before, so the advantage of being a first mover is something that in NL we already experienced. Now you know that more than 10 years ago, we uh, entered into the renewable uh, business. Now, so we understood there that if you know how to manage a technology, then you can uh, take the advantage in, in, in the long run. So. We believe that companies need to start to work in a different framework. So not be just as, as, as a buyer, as we don't want to act as a seller, but more on partnership, where we can share, no? not only talking about price and, and volume, because this is not is the case of green hydrogen, but we need to share uh, information and confront each other to, to overcome the, these challenges. Okay, well, final question, which I'm going to pose to both of you, and then we'll wrap, which is, we're in this kind of, I guess, phase one of this green hydrogen journey. If you were betting men, which I'm sure you're not, but if you were, what, when do you think green hydrogen will have normalized to be a kind of a mainstream offering? What, what would your best guess be on when, when that will be the reality? And I'll come back to Filippo. I'm going to make you answer that first. We believe that uh, it's a, uh the market will come earlier than we believe. So the, the clients will recognize the value of having a decarbonized process earlier than we believe. And making a, clearly now betting on, on a specific number, we, we would make a mistake for sure. But, uh, um, but uh, I, I believe that the real answer is uh, the market and, and, uh, and, uh, and the clients uh, will, uh, will, will make it real earlier than um, than uh, than we actually right now believe uh, and uh, and it will be and it will be clear for everyone it's like uh, the electric car no we have been talking about it for uh, for years and now it's uh, it's on the market and uh, and and uh, i believe in the last uh, six months uh, always uh, electric car sales uh, um, <clears throat> were over uh, the the thermal ones uh, uh, for uh, for the next for the last few months and uh, it will uh, not everyone realize that yet but uh, it will happen the same for uh, for green hydrogen Okay. And Lorenzo, are you willing to be more specific or is it just too mean a question to ask at the end of a podcast? I mean, uh, I agree with Filippo in the sense that 
we are going to see green hydrogen before we expect uh, because it's the uh, of, of course of the different colors of the hydrogen is the only really sustainable and since companies have understand that sustainability is not an something related to environment but it's something related to the business to also the economic growth of companies i believe that it will be part of their decarbonization roadmap uh, soon. But I'm not good in betting, so I cannot say something <laughs> more uh, precise. Okay. Well, look, thank you to you both. I think really interesting to have walked through the potential, you know, how we might need, particularly in Europe, regulation and policy to kind of overcome or help overcome some of those early barriers. But I mean, ultimately, green hydrogen is one of those issues within decarbonisation that whilst it's early, we, we hear about it in our membership a lot. There is a lot of interest out there. So I think coming back to that slightly mean last question on a deadline for it becoming fully mature, uh, I definitely think the truth is it, it's going to escalate. It's going to really uh, speed up uh, in terms of how, how people adopt, you know, pilots and move forward. So great to hear from a company that already has those really interesting projects up and running both in Europe and in South America. I think some interesting results to come from you guys. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Alex, also for what you are doing with the Car Connect. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Alex. Many thanks for listening to the Decarb Connect podcast. We work with clients across the industrial sectors, specifically those who are tasked with decarbonizing the most energy intensive products and materials that we use every day. If you have an interest in uh, learning more about either our members network, our reports or our event series, do get in touch with us at decarbconnect.com. Or if you'd like to take part in the podcast, email me, alex at ac at decarbconnect.com. Thanks for listening.